Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Serenity. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, sitting amidst the pile of post-wedding present and decoration wreckage, but, you know, what else yeah. is new? <laughs> yeah, we got, got that going on. Thanksgiving is here. Oh, yeah. U.S. Is- Thanksgiving. That's right. You, it, you get to double dip on Thanksgiving, don't you? I that's do. A little, that's a little unfair. Oh, it's fun. It just means more good food. More good food and more friends. There you go. Sadly, no holidays. Yeah. Well, before we get to uh, to experience the holidays, we have some listener questions, because that's what we do here on the show. And we're going to start with Eric. Eric asks, what are carrier settings and what causes the updates? I feel like I've seen two to three over the last couple of months. Ooh. Okay. So carrier settings uh, are different, of course, than your normal run-of-the-mill software updates uh, in that software updates come directly from Apple. They're updating the OS and giving you new features and fun things like that. Carrier updates specifically relate to the network band, um, and they, I believe, can be pushed by the carriers, uh, but they do need Apple's kind of thumbs up and okay before they go out there, um, again, to prohibit somebody from, say, trying to push an exploit through a through a carrier, which would be really, really unfortunate. Uh, so Apple actually has a great knowledge base article about this, um, because here at Query, we love our K- K-base, what did you call it once? K-base diving? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You got to get in there, elbow deep in some support documents. Yeah, exactly. Dig through. Um, so the way that they define it on the knowledge base is uh, that these carrier settings let your carrier provider uh, update the network and other settings to improve cellular network con- connectivity and performance. Um, and some of the examples that they give include adding support for features like voice over LTE or Wi-Fi calling. Uh, I believe the band updates that allowed Puerto Rico to use a, a different band uh, on AT&T that was provided via carrier update so that people could uh, could make some phone calls when everything was kind of going to hell over there. Um, so they, uh, in general, they're, they're small, um, but if your carrier has been making maintenance improvements and the like, you're probably going to, as, as Eric's, uh, was mentioning, you might see a couple of those pop up, uh, especially I know when, um, when T-Mobile was rolling out their advanced LTE, I definitely, I saw two or three on my, on my T-Mobile phone kind of pop up here and there. Um, one of the things that I also hear from people about carrier settings is whether or not they should actually press the like update now there's really no harm in doing so because again as i said they're they're vetted so that's not you're not going to be again there's no way to install malware on your phone um but i will say if you see them pop up while you're browsing safari I'd be a little bit careful because as as of right now, I don't think anybody's been able to reproduce Apple's new system pop ups. But I feel like it's only a matter of time. Um, So if you're ever worried about whether or not a carrier setting is legitimate, you can always press the later button. um, And there's a little there's a little special hack to to get them to pop up from the system uh, from the system area. Uh, Steven, do you know that hack? I, I am not aware of this. T- teach me your ways. All right. So this is actually, it's really fun or really fun. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so fun to install carrier settings, you guys. Uh, it's really simple. 
All you have to do is go into your preferences app on your phone um, and navigate to general and then navigate to the about screen. And for whatever reason, Apple has hidden it away so that if you use uh, you, you you open the about screen, you will get prompted for carrier settings updates uh, if there are new ones. So okay. um, that can also be used if you know that there is a carrier settings update that people have been talking about it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you want to get the latest goodies that your carrier is pushing, you can always go to the about screen and uh, and force, a, force an update and see if there's anything waiting for you. Cool. Yeah, that, that's good to know. Um, and I agree with you. I've I've seen a bunch of these um, uh, over, you know, the last, I mean, however many years <laughs> I've had an iPhone, you know, and they, uh, I've never had an issue with them. And I've, I've taken, you know, I saw several, I think, like two years ago, I think my 6S Plus started life on Verizon and then took it to T-Mobile and then took it to AT&T. <laughs> uh, I had a real situation a couple years ago with cell phone carriers. And so, you know, I would see several, you know, kind of in a row and I've never had an issue with them. You know, like you said, they're, they're thoroughly vetted. The carriers know what they're doing. Apple knows what they're doing. And, uh, it, you know, most of the time, I mean, I would say probably the majority of the time, you're not really going to see any difference, right? It's, it's tweaking stuff behind the scenes that most users won't ever notice, but occasionally you do get something that, that adds, um, you know, a new feature. And I, I, for one, really, like Wi-Fi calling, uh, AT&T in yeah. my neighborhood is not spectacular, and we have an older house, and sometimes it struggles, but I can now make phone calls over that Wi-Fi calling feature, and uh, you know that wasn't available, and then one day it was, and um, so it's definitely something to keep an eye on, and I think, Eric, you can you can rest easy that, uh, that everything will be okay. Yep. All right, if you want to be cool like Eric and ask uh, questions of us on the show, use the hashtag AskQuery on Twitter, and our little robot goes out and collects them up. And puts them in a basket for us. Beep, beep, beep. And uh, we take all sorts of tech questions, so uh, feel free to ask away. But this week we have a little bit of a of a theme, and that theme is is updates. So we talked about carrier settings, and I um, got an email actually. So Chris didn't follow the directions. Chris emailed me, but that's fine. Uh, asking why High Sierra was trying to auto install on his macbook air and so i looked into this a little bit and ended up writing an article about it this is not new to mac os they've, they've done it uh apple's done this at least one other year maybe two but if you are running an older version of mac os but your computer can run high sierra you get this little notification they started it last week it says hey uh you know high sierra is here the update brings lots of good new technology Click install. Hmm. What's actually happening here, and I really want to, I'm really I'm curious what you think about this. The App Store, oh, it does a check to make sure you have enough disk space. It's not going to fill up your hard drive or your SSD, but it downloads the High Sierra update, which um, right now is like 5.1 gigs, downloads that in the background, and then once it's done and is verified, the App Store sends you this notification. It says, hey, you want to install High Sierra? You hit install. And it starts automatically because, again, that installer has already been downloaded. And I have very mixed feelings about this, uh, but I'm curious to see uh, to see what you think about it. Yeah, I uh, I am also torn on this because on one hand, uh, 
I'm notoriously bad about updating my software on my Mac uh, because I use, I feel like I use my Mac quite a lot. Uh, and where with the iPhone, I usually have it at the end of the day. So I'm okay pressing the like install between two in the morning and three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then my things will automatically install. With my Mac, I have a laptop. Um, and often that laptop is sitting in a bag and not plugged in. So I never get the the lovely background, you know, auto install, mm, okay. uh, small updates. So I like I waited, I think, two weeks to install High Sierra um, because everything was going crazy. So not not long enough to get this prompt, um, but long enough that like I recognize that people sometimes have life uh, life in various situations getting in the way where they might not think, oh, you know what I should do? I should, you know, spend 30 minutes waiting for a software thing to update. Um, so I like the fact that it, you know, from that perspective, that makes it easy. So you don't have to, oh, I have to sit and wait another like two hours to make that download. But at the same time, the downloading of five, like over five gigabytes in the background, granted, it's a small file size in comparison to what, you know, <laughs> what it could have been. But at the same time, five gigabytes is a lot. And you don't know, like, does Apple have behind the scenes checks of like, don't download when someone's tethering? Because if I accidentally downloaded five gigabytes worth of High Sierra while tethering at a Starbucks or something, I would be pretty upset. Like, that's a that's a pretty big hit to to anybody's data plan. Oh, yeah. Uh, And especially if it's like if you're using Comcast or something like that and you have data caps and this makes you hit a data cap like that kind of that's not great either. I would assume that they're checking for tethering. Um, But but yeah, you're right. If you have a data cap or uh, you have a slow connection, this could take a long time. So there's that issue. Um, But then there's the issue of sort of moving the user base to the new version of the OS. And Mm. I I fully understand that that is what's best for almost everybody, right? It's best for Apple to have everyone on the newest OS. It's way better for third-party developers so they know, you know, where the bulk of users are. And ultimately, it's good for most users because they can be assured that they're running the latest and greatest. And even though Apple will offer security updates for old old OSs, um, it's, it's just nice to be on the, the newest thing and kind of gets mm-hmm. everybody on the same page. And especially in a world where macOS and iOS share more features than ever, your Mac and, and iOS devices can do more together if everything is updated. So there's lots of reasons to be on the newest OS, but I think this was, to, to Chris's point in his email, not everyone wants to move you know, their, like their production machine, for instance, you know, that they may, may make their living on to the new OS. Maybe they have to wait on uh, app compatibility or, you know, there's a plugin they use somewhere that won't run. And and the power users know this and they're going to go out and make sure that, hey, you know, I'm running this, this, and this. Does this all work on High Sierra? But a lot of everyday users don't really think about that sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe, like I know High Sierra... Uh, breaks a lot of old versions of Microsoft Office. Mm-hmm. And even though Adobe has stopped supporting the Creative Suite line of its products and just are doing Creative Cloud now, for instance, uh, I ran into somebody just this week who had been running CS4 successfully on uh, Sierra, but on High Sierra, it, it's broken. And now that software has been you know abandoned by Adobe for a long time, but now this person was in the situation where they updated their OS and sort of their production chain was was broken and 
that's a very complicated thing. Um, what I would really like to see is, you know, I don't mind Apple doing this, but I, I wish that it would be more clear to um, to users that this isn't just like a security update, right? It's not a carrier yeah. setting that's, that's basically harmless. Like this can be a big deal and there's lots of good things in High Sierra and I've been running it since June. It's been fine, but that that may not, that's not a universal. And I just wish OS updates had a little more weight attached to them than like a, hey, you updated TweetBot. Is that, is that fair? Am I, am I on a soapbox here? No, I, I, you know what, if you're on a soapbox, I am right there with you because I, yeah, I, I don't think that anybody should have their software break un- unexpectedly, especially when it's not, you know, it's not an easy thing to downgrade uh, an OS. Like it's possible, but it's not the most fun, uh, fun process in the world. So if you click something thinking, oh, this is just like a, a security update, right? Um, and then you realize, oh, three of my apps that I depend on don't work anymore. That That's really unfortunate, especially, as you said, in the age of subscription-based software and all of this where, you know, some of us, CS4 may be old and may not, you know, may not have all of the whiz-bang features that Creative Cloud has. But CS4 is still a very powerful piece of software. And if someone bought it outright and they don't want to pay for Creative Cloud, you know, it's... Ugh. It it just bo- that that bothers me. That's a whole separate sub conversation about software being you know put into obsolescence just for the sake of obsolescence. But uh, but regardless, uh, I do I do agree with you in that even if Apple's going to do this and if Apple's going to do it in a background, I don't know. I feel like it should be a setting <laughs> where it's just like mm-hmm. yes, just like um when it prompts you, oh I'll install these updates later in the background. I feel like Apple should do the same thing if it's trying to download a new entire version of the OS where it prompts you and says, hey, are you interested in installing High Sierra? And the answer should be, yes, download it to my machine and I will install it when I'm ready. Or yes, you know, install it or I guess install it in the background, the same thing. Um, or no, leave me alone. Or no, ask me <laughs> again in six months when I've you yeah. know decided to switch to a different piece of software. Because, right. yeah. Right, right yeah, now. It the only feels... the only options now are install or uh, I think dis uh, or details, which launches the App Store page for High Sierra. There's not even a dismiss on the on the, the notification. No, and is that before or after it's installed to your machine? It's after it's downloaded, so it's already it's already on your disk. That's not okay either. It needs to not download until it's until you've given it permission to use your data. Because again, it's. I, you know, I, I feel, I understand where you're coming from on the, on the software upgrade side and I agree with it, but I am just as adamant about like, you don't take away people's data without telling them first, like, Mm -hmm. no, just, and also I'm, I'm thinking you were mentioning, you know, oh, this take, you know, when they're downloading it, what if you're trying to upload a, a really important file to Dropbox or something like that? You know, we've all been there, right? Where we're trying to download something from the web or do something and all of a sudden your internet is at a crawl and you don't know why. Like, I would hate to see somebody not being able to use their computer the way they like uh, because Apple has decided to download a five gigabyte file while they're trying to, like, mm-hmm. win a game or upload a f- I don't know. It's just... Ugh. Anger, Stephen. I didn't know we were going to have so much anger at the podcast this early in the morning. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. So, so well, Chris, so to, to 
sort of get, get back to Chris before we move on. Chris, make sure that in anyone looking to update an OS or a family member's operating system, you know, over the holidays, you know, take a look through their applications folder. Make sure that anything in there that looks a little bit older, make sure that it, it can run high, run on High Sierra. You know, make sure that they have a good backup. We've talked about backup a lot on this show. Mm. Make sure they got a time machine backup or carbon copy cloner or something. Because uh, things, you know, they don't go wrong very often, but they can go wrong and it can be, you know, kind of kind of rough to recover from that. And, um, you know, I think if, if all your software is supported and you got a backup, then go for it. High Sierra has been uh, really solid for a lot of users. But, you know, just go in a little prepared and and you'll be you'll be set. Yeah. And um, just a quick this is kind of a side side note to this topic. Uh, but if you do have programs that you know you won't be able to run in High Sierra, but you would like to still run High Sierra, one of my best tips here is to partition your drive. Um, Partitioning is a lot easier than it used to be. And so you basically have two separate instances uh, one that might be your main machine and runs High Sierra and all of that. And then your sub partition can be your Sierra partition that still has your creative, you know, your pre creative cloud, creative suite applications or anything else that's not going to work on a newer version of the OS. Said so it's not the, not the easiest tip, um, but it is easier than it used to be. And it's one of the few ways that you can kind of get the best of both worlds without having multiple computers. There you go. All right, that brings us to the speed run. Jane asks, what is the best way to OCR existing, so not like recently scanned, PDFs on an iPad? This is a great question, and I actually had to dig into the App Store a little bit uh, for it because I, I had never thought about that. Uh, and actually, there there is a great app that will do this for you. Uh, PDF Pen, surprise, surprise, they make lots of great software in relation to to PDFs. Um, well, it's just Smile, who makes PDF Pen, makes lots of great software in relation to PDFs. Uh, but they have an app called PDF Pen Scan Plus, um, which, yes, its primary function is as a document scanner, so you can scan with your camera, but it can also import existing PDFs, um, and not just from, say, iCloud, but it also has hooks into Dropbox and Evernote and Google Drive, and you can even upload uh, things from web addresses and FTP servers. Uh, so it allows you basically to get a document from ev- from anywhere, uh, it'll OCR that document. I to test it. I I put in a 17-page contract, uh, wow. which it OCR'd <laughs> in about on my iPhone 10. It OCR'd in about a minute and a half, um, and then uh, you can just copy and paste that text, which I did into my notes my notes file. And I think it took longer to render in notes than it did to OCR the file in the first place. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So hopefully that answers your question, Jan. Um, it's only a couple bucks, I think. It's a really nice app. I, as I said, I found it very easy to use. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, Smiles PDF pen tools. They're all they're all really good. So that's good to know because I have I have some of this. So I this is a little off topic, but I save manuals for like stuff around the house. So like yes. this weekend, I needed to put my shop vac to like suck up some water. And I was like, I know there's like a series of steps I need to do, do this safely. And I had the manual on my, on in notes. So I could just open my iPhone and find it. But a lot of those PDFs don't have their text OCR. So it can be difficult to search. And so I'm going to run my PDFs through this this weekend. Cause this is, this is great. There you go. Searchable PDFs. All also, right. I love that you have a shop vac, Steven. It's uh, oh. it's actually right here in the studio because um, 
I get I get leaves in here. Anyways. <laughs> now I just want to sing a Jonathan Colton song, but instead, I will give you a question to answer. Uh, so Bastion was wondering if you could explain the meaning behind the term, quote, getting Sherlocked. I can. I selfishly put this where I got to answer it because I, I love uh, Apple history, as readers may know. <laughs> I have a, a website where I do a lot of that stuff. And so the, y- you've heard the term getting Sherlocked sort of in the Apple community. I think most people understand that roughly it means that your app or a feature in your app gets copied by Apple itself. So, you know, say that you wrote a, um, you know, some sort of uh, application and then all of a sudden that your whole application just became a feature in the Notes app or in Safari or something like that. We can all think of examples of this. You know, uh, Safari has reading list and people were worried that Instapaper or Pocket had been Sherlocked. Uh, Notes now has a scanning uh, feature built into it. And so something like PDF scan, PDF pen scan plus or scan bot or something may have been Sherlocked a little bit. It does not always mean death to an application. It can, but it doesn't always. But where the name comes from, the original example, uh, was way back in 2001 or so, 2002. So in 1998, Apple shipped an application in macOS 8.5 named Sherlock. And it was basically like a, a search tool, so you could search for stuff on your hard drive, uh, but was very quickly expanded to search contents of the web as well. So this is before the big search engines like Google or Yahoo or you know those big sort of gateway websites we think of in the late 90s and early aughts. It was really kind of before that stuff. And so Sherlock could search like individual websites that had sort of been programmed to work with Sherlock. It wasn't like Google. It wasn't searching the whole internet. It was like, I want to search eBay or I want to search, you know, whatever. Uh, over the next couple of years, Apple expanded Sherlock to serve as a front end for like many, many more different website engines and, and different things. And again, this is all like on your Mac, right? So it's a Mac application that you type into and it searches the web and then you get results back in the Mac app. Super weird now to think about this, but in the early 90s or the late 90s, there wasn't like a great way to do this stuff yet. It's, it's a good uh, throwback. I, I feel like I've just gone back in time with you. Yeah. In 2001, a third party company launched an application called Watson. You get the joke. That's Sherlock and Watson. It was sort of a pro version of Sherlock. So it was doing a lot of similar things, but in a more powerful way, had a more modern UI with a lot more options. So that's kind of like how today you have like the Notes app and then it's like this company came along and built Evernote. It's more powerful, it's more flexible, but sort of in the same vein. So the term Sherlocking was born in 2002 when Apple released Sherlock version 3 and it was for most intents and purposes a copy of Watson. It looked like Watson, it adopted all the features of Watson and a bunch of people freaked out saying that Apple had put the small developers app out of business. Uh, you know, who knows what the truth is if 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 Apple saw Watson and decided to adopt it or if Sherlock 3 was in parallel development and they sort of ended up in the same place. Who knows? It's, it, you can never tell with these things. Uh, Watson was sold off two years later. I think the underlying tech was sold to IBM or, or Sun or somebody. And the, they kind of quietly went away. But the term has stuck around. Sherlock has been long gone. Watson is long gone. But the term Sherlocking, that's this is where it comes from. Uh, third-party app sort of getting uh, absorbed into a system app and then that that third-party app quietly going away. 
R.I.P. Watson. I, which is funny, though, because I, uh, I think about modern in the modern era, we keep on talking about apps getting, quote unquote, Sherlocked. Um, like I know there was a big foo about, oh, well, one password just got Sherlocked when Apple released iCloud Keychain. Uh, but I feel like nowadays it's less, uh, less crushing in part because I think Apple has done a really good job about differentiating, you know, it may have similar features, but there are different use cases for each of them. And the third party apps have been better about, you know, differentiating themselves as saying, oh, this is, this is what we do that. Apple really isn't going to do as well. You know, I, I still use both 1Password and iCloud Keychain, and I, I use Alfred alongside Spotlight. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I maybe, do you think we're getting away from the era of Sherlocking? Um, or, or is it still, you know, is it more of a buzzword than an actual thing at this point? Uh, I think it's definitely a term people like to throw around. But I tend to agree with you. Like, I use a bunch of, you know, system utilities and third-party apps that all kind of do the same thing. I think where it sort of lands now is Apple builds sort of like the, like the tool for the masses. So again, like, Mm. like notes, you know, is really great. I use notes and it's really powerful and you have lots of stuff, but there are things that notes doesn't do, or there are things that Safari reading list doesn't do. And people then turn to a third-party app. So, you know, say you don't like the pocket, the podcast app in iOS 11. Well, you know, Pocket Cast and Overcast and Castro, these apps all do on the 10 the same thing, right? You download and listen to podcasts, but they do them with additional features or tweaks on the idea that you may find uh, more useful or, or, you know, more helpful to your particular workflow. So I think, I think apps definitely can be Sherlock still, but I think on the whole, what we see is Apple creates a, a tool and and maybe even like makes the idea of that sort of app really popular and third-party developers sort of uh, live in the space sort of above that of something that power users may be more interested in or someone who needs something cross-platform may be interested in. And I think most developers who have been quote-unquote Sherlocked over the last four or five years still have a business because they've, they've found that parts of the market Apple's not interested in and they can, they can, uh, thrive there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. All right. Uh, so last one, this is for you. Uh, Trinity asks, I keep seeing crazy depth maps of portrait photos on the iPhone. Uh, what are these and how can I make one? Oh, man, this is this is fun. So um, on Twitter over the last few weeks, um, Trinity must have seen them and I've seen them as well. Uh, there are apps or what looks like gifs right where it just shows a flat picture of the photo and then all of a sudden the photo goes out to the side uh and suddenly you can see the layers of the photo and what that's doing is it's actually showing a uh uh software representation of what the depth map apple is taking when you take a picture with your iphone 8 or your iphone 10 uh so there is an app that does this uh that lets you see those maps and it is called focus it's like focus, except there's an O where the U would be. Uh, not only is it a cool app for seeing those depth maps, but you can actually adjust the depth maps in this app, which is pretty uh, spectacular in that you can change what's blurred and what's not. You can add foreground blurs. You can do multiple background blurs. So you can make it so if you want a more 
tiered look to your bokeh, uh, you can actually, you know, say, oh, well, this this spot immediately after this person's face, I want to just be like a little bit of a blur. And this and the immediately like the building beyond that, I want it to be a super blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really quite powerful and um, impressive how much you can tweak in this app. Um, you can also tweak the the bokeh, uh, the the style of the bokeh lights, uh, which is like you can change it from different kind of like hexagonals to tetrahedrons to you can add weird special shapes, uh, including an apple, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> so all of your bokehs become little mini apple logos uh, or smiley faces, uh, which is actually really creepy. It, it gives you kind of that Watchmen vibe. Uh yeah, so what I find, like, it's cool from a depth map perspective, which was, of course, the original question. Um, but I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that app because I, I find it incredibly useful uh, when you're shooting portrait photos if you want to tweak them a little bit. Uh, and especially if you're taking portrait selfies and you're trying to take a group shot. I've noticed one of the one of the hindrances that the iPhone 10 has is if you have people stacked, AKA like, let's say I'm in the foreground and I'm taking a selfie with you, Steven, and you're standing behind me, mm-hmm. uh, portrait mode, uh, wants to blur you out because yeah. it thinks, Oh, this is not my immediate face that I'm, <laughs> that I'm grabbing onto. So you, you don't exist. I'm just furniture back there. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I see. I see what it thinks about me. That's furniture sad. with a face, Steven. Uh, so you can use Focus to bring those people back into focus, uh, which I did quite a few times when I was taking portrait selfie tests uh, during my honeymoon. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, husband. <laughs> sorry, my phone doesn't think you're a real person. Uh. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. I, I recommend checking it out uh, only partially for the death math. Yeah, th- this stuff is super cool. And I've... Um... I've got a friend who who writes a, a photo app and I know he's been playing with the APIs and whatnot. And it really seems like, you know, you can do so much stuff with this. And what's what's cool in iOS 11 is the new file format is saving all this data with the photos. So you can go back in later, you, you know, before you had like a, once it, you had sort of selected what you wanted to do with it, that was set. But now you can go back in to older images and play with them and save different versions. And it's really... Uh, making me think about images in a different way that they're not just static JPEGs, but you can go in and, and and tweak them later and change what they are and sort of make them this living thing that, you know, as this app improves in the future, as other apps come along, you can go and do, uh, do more down the road. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool, right? Like it, it's making something, that, you know, sort of like preserving all this data in the future, you could do something even crazier with it. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think what you said is, is spot on. We're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to people playing around with all of this data. And I'm really excited to see what else people make. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I think that's it. Yeah, I think we we are closed and done. Uh, it's fun fun episode lots of lots of talk about installing and updates uh <laughs> some some ha- apple history lessons a real a real uh all over the place episode but that's fun you can find show notes all the stuff we've talked about relay.fm slash query slash 18 to submit questions please tweet with the hashtag ask query in the meantime you can find serenity on twitter at Saturn s-e-t-t-e-r-n 
and find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. And until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Au revoir. Adios.